Chapter 52 of No Quarter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. No Quarter by Thomas Main Reed. Chapter 52 At Home Again. There was rejoicing at Rawdine. After two years of forced absence, the master of Holymead had returned to his ancestral home, and the faces of his beautiful daughters once more gladdened the eyes of the villagers. Out of the world's way, as was this quaint little place, it too had suffered the severities of the war. More than one visit had been paid to it by patrols and scouting parties of the royalist soldiery, which meant very much the same as if the visitors had been very bandits. They made free with everything they could lay hands on worth the trouble of taking, goods, apparel, furniture, even to the most cherished household goods, invading the family sanctuary, and at each reappearance stripping it cleaner and cleaner. Roardine had indeed become an impoverished place, as all the rural district around. The chimney tapestry had disappeared from the farmer's kitchen, neither flitch nor ham to be seen in it, empty his pigsties, unstocked his pastures, and if a horse remained in his stable, it was one no cavalier would care to bestride. The king's commissioners of array had requisitioned all, calling it a purchase and paying with bits of stamped paper, which the reluctant vendor knew to be worth just nothing. But, nolen volen, he must accept it, or take the alternative, sure of being made severe for him. So afflicted, ever since the surrender of Bristol to Rupert, no wonder the forest people had grown aweary of the war and were glad when they heard of Wintour's defeat at Beechley, and soon after Monmouth being taken by the parliamentarians. It seemed earnest of a coming peace, while to the people of the Rawdine district Ambrose Powell once more appearing among them was like the confirmation of it. Something besides gave them security, for the time at least. A squadron of horse had taken up quarters in their village, not the freebooting cavaliers, bullying and fleecing them, but soldiers who treated them kindly, paid full price for everything, in short, behaved to them as friends and protectors. For many of them were their friends their own relatives, the body of horse being that commanded by Colonel Walwyn, with Rock Wild as his head sergeant. Alike secure felt the ladies in Holymead House, safe as within Gloucester. How could it be otherwise, with Sir Richard having his headquarters there, and Eustace Trevor under the same roof? The happy times seemed to have returned, and the sisters, after the long irksome residence in walled towns, more than ever enjoyed that country life, to which from earliest years they had been accustomed. And once again went they out hawking, with the same cast of peregrines, and the same little Merlin. For Van Dorn, living in a sequestered spot, and unaffected by the events of the war, had kept the falcons up to their training. Once more to the marsh at the base of Rawdean Hill, the party almost identical with that which had repaired thither two years before. And as before rang out the falconers, hoo-ha, ha-ha, and shrill whistle, as a heron rose up from the sedge, again a white heron, the great egret. Singular coincidence, and strangely gratifying to the fair owner of the peregrines, for she especially wanted an egret. How she watched as it made for upper air, 
with the falcons doing their best to mount a buffet, watched with eager, anxious eyes, fearing it might get away. Not that she was cruel, only just then she so desired to have a white heron, would give anything for one. She did not need to have a fear. Then Dawn had done his duty by the hawks, and the chaste bird had no chance of escaping. Soon its pursuers were seen above it, with spread trains and quivering sails. Then one stooped, right, and rose over again, while the other stooped to bind, both along becoming bound, when all three birds came fluttering back to earth. With triumphant whip, the falconer pronounced it a kill, but this time, seemingly without being told, he plucked out the tail coverts, and handed them to his young mistress. Days before, however, Van Dorn had received injunctions to procure such if possible. There was a hat that wanted a plume. "'To replace that you lost, dear Eustace,' she said, passing them over to him. "'Tis so good of you to think of it, darling.' How different the mode of addressing one another from the time when they were last upon that spot. No painstaking kindness now, but heart knowing heart, troth plighted, and loves mutually reliant. "'I shall take better care of this one,' he added, adjusting the feathers into a panache. "'Never man sadder than I when the other was taken from me, for I feared it would be the loss of what I far more valued.' "'Your life? Ah, so did I when I heard you were wounded. Uh, no, not my life,' he said, interrupting. Uh, "'Something besides.' "'What besides?' "'Your love, Varga. At least your esteem.' "'Eustace, how could you think of that?' "'From having lost my own, along with my character as a soldier, to be taken as in a trap.' "'Never that, dearest. All knew there was treason. If you were taken so might a lion, with such numbers against you, and how you delivered yourself?' She had learned all the particulars of his escape, a deed of daring to be proud of, and proud was she of it. "'Do you know, Eustace,' she continued, without waiting his rejoinder, "'that you spared me a journey, and perhaps some humiliation?' "'A journey? Whither?' "'To Goodrich Castle first, and it might have been anywhere after. "'But why?' "'To throw myself at Sir Henry Lingon's feet, and crave mercy for you.' "'That would have been humiliation indeed, darling, "'and I'm glad that chance hindered you from it.' "'Chance? No, love, your courage did it, and—' My horse's heels, rather say, but for them I should not be here. He was upon that horse's back then, she on a palfrey by his side. Noble Saladin, she exclaimed, drawing closer and passing her gloved hand caressingly over this arched neck. Dear good Saladin, if you but knew how grateful I am. Saladin did seem to know, as in soft, gentle neighing he turned his hand round to acknowledge the caress. A fair picture these betrothed lovers formed as they sate in their settles under the greenwood tree. Some change was there in them since they had been there before. He handsome as ever, perhaps handsomer, his cheeks embrowned with two years' campaigning, his figure braced to a terse, firmer manhood. On Saladin's back he seemed the personification of a young crusader just returned from the holy wars. She lovelier than a first, if that were possible. A woman now, her girlhood's beauty had done all Major Granwell set off it, and more. Sager had she grown, made so by the vicissitudes and trials of the time, and it became her. 
not now clapped she her hands and echoed the falconer's whoop when the hawks struck the quarry down instead took it all quietly so different from former days but there was another cause now sobering almost saddening her one which affected both the war was not yet at an end at any hour any moment might come a summons which would again separate them perchance never more to meet in that tranquil sylvan scene they felt as on the deck of a storm-tossed wreck-threatened ship in the midst of angry ocean cruel war to beget such reflections such fears and alas they were realized almost on the instant following the old course the hawking party had ascended to the summit of the hill to give the merlin its turn the game of its pursuit more plentiful was easily found and flushed so that soon the courageous creature made a kill a land rail the quarry but ere it could be cast off for a second flight just as once before the sport was interrupted by their seeing a horseman on the opposite hill coming down the road from the wilderness to drybrook he might not have been noticed but for the pace which was a rapid gallop this down the steep declivity told of some pressing purpose where the sun's glitter upon arms and accoutrements proclaimed him a soldier more definite was the knowledge got of him through a telescope which one of the attendants carried glancing through it sir richard recognized the uniform of a parliamentarian dragoon one of massey's own regiment coming that way and at such a speed the man must be a messenger with dispatches and for whom but himself separating from his party and taking hilbert with him the knight trotted off to the nearest point where the road in road passed over the shoulder of the hill there halting till the dragoon should come up nor had he long to wait as conjectured the man was the messenger bearing a dispatch that called for all haste in the delivery and therefore came galloping up the slope without lessening his pace he seemed some little disconcerted at seeing two horsemen drawn up on the road before him but a word from sir richard reassured him as he perceived it was the knight himself as the dispatch was for sir richard this brought his gallop to an end and drawing up he handed over the document simply saying from governor massey colonel addressed colonel waldwin it read gerard has slipped through out of south wales by worcester and now en route to join the king at oxford i've got orders from the committee to march out and intercept him if possible at evesham or before he can cross the cotswolds i shall want every man of my command so draw off from the rawdine for gloucester and reinforce its garrison start soon as you get this lose not a moment time is pressing e messy when sir richard returned to the hawking party his hurried manner with the serious expression upon his features admonished vague powell that her presentiment was on the eve of being fulfilled sure was she of it on hearing his answer to sabrina who had anxiously questioned him on his coming up yes dearest a courier from massey at gloucester i'm commanded to proceed thither in all haste we must home and home went they to holymead hurriedly as once before but not to stay there only to leave the ladies within a few minutes in getting ready for the route then back down to rawdine to order the assembly sounded soon after boots and saddles in fine the forward march and before the sun had sunk over the far heteral hills the sequestered village 
had resumed its wonted tranquillity. Not a soldier to be seen in its streets, nor anywhere round it. End of chapter 52 Recording by Mocha